Hello, welcome to the Clean Stage Podcast, episode 78. It is a Q&A extravaganza. <laughs> welcome. I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your host. I'm also an author and a speaker and the CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. And Clean the Stage, the show you're listening to right now, is a show for women who want to discover, awaken, and create their voice through the art of public speaking. So if that's you, you're in the right place. And today I took a whole bunch of questions from women who have written into me over the last couple of months and also people who responded to my Facebook post yesterday who were interested in learning more about public speaking. So today I have eight or nine questions I respond to on this like 40 minute episode. And we talk about all kinds of stuff ranging from how do you get started speaking at libraries and booking speaking engagements to how how do you present yourself if you're doing a webinar or if you're up on a screen at a conference and you can't be there live? How do you make that effective? Uh, how do you handle emotion when it starts to creep in? This is probably the most popular question I've gotten in the last month. And it's really important that you don't try to hide it. And I'm going to talk about why that is. I, I was asked if you have any tips around rounding out your speech with a solid close. How do you balance your energy on stage? Uh, best place to find images that don't you know, infringe on any copyrights. What do you do to generate speaker topics? And is it okay to give the same speech multiple times? So we have all kinds of craziness happening here today. <laughs> I went on a rampage. And this episode is also live on Facebook. If you want to watch the video version of it, you just send me a friend request and you can watch it. We also have it up on our website uh, the day after or the day that this episode goes live. If you go to speakersisterhood.com and click on podcast, all of our episodes are there and the last 10 or 15 or so are all videos as well as audio. So, you know, we're keeping you guys hooked up. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I just want to say one last thing before we jump into the questions and that is thank you. Thank you so much for listening and being part of my adventure. <laughs> I hope that you're learning a lot through these episodes. I'm continuing to enjoy creating them for you. And I just love getting emails from you and running into listeners who are saying, I love your podcast. And it's like so fun because, you know, the nature of a podcast, you don't see people while you're recording it. So I often wonder, is anybody listening out there? And you are. So thank you. And I hope that this has been helpful for you. So without further ado, let's jump into the questions. Hello. I have a little bit of a cough this morning, so I'm going to try my best not to do that, but that may happen. I want to thank everybody who has submitted questions for this Q&A episode happening here today on the Clean the Stage podcast in the Glitter Closet. We have so many exciting questions to answer, and they're from a whole range of areas, ranging from how to get paid as a speaker, how to keep your audience engaged, how do you write a bio if you wanted to speak at a conference, how do you keep your audience excited and turn them into a fan, not just sitting in the audience, but actually wanting to become part of your presentation as well. So if you have a question during this episode, feel free to post it in the comments. And if we have time, I will try and answer it. I'm going to give myself about 30 minutes because who really wants to hear me talk about this for more than 30 minutes, right? <laughs> so um, thanks everyone for tuning in. I'm excited. We've got a lot to talk about today, so I'm going to jump right into it. The first question I was asked 
uh, for this Q&A episode is, I read that you started out going to libraries and presenting there. Did you get paid for those speaking engagements? If so, what did you say to ensure this happened? I'd like to do this, but not sure how. Can you give me some tips? And then I was asked a similar question, and I felt like my answer is going to be pretty much the same. So I wanted to put them together so that I could just answer them at the same time. So um, Alicia asked that first question. And the second question was asked by Brenda. She said, how do you go from presenting for free to getting paid? What's the best way to find speaking engagements? And what should my speaker's bio look like? So let me help you with that. There's a couple different things I want to say about this because there's kind of a lot to it. Okay, so let's start with the libraries. And this, this woman who wrote in is correct. I did start giving speeches at libraries. And the reason I did that was because it seemed like that was the lowest barrier to entry. There, it's a community um, offering, right? And they're looking for opportunities to bring people from the community to educate and inform and inspire other members of the community. And I thought, oh, I'm a member of the community. <laughs> I think I, I think I could offer something here. So I put together a couple of different ideas on what I would talk about. And when I started speaking, I was a career consultant. So I went out and talked about things like how to network, how to brand yourself, how to create an anti-resume, how you, um, I, I need to move this Facebook video up and I'm just like watching myself talk and very distracting. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and how do you create something that's of value to other people? So to start, before you contact any library, you want to think about what you want to say. What's your message? And the easiest way to get to the answer to that question is to ask yourself, who do I want sitting in my audience and what problem am I solving for them? And if you can answer those two questions, you'll be able to create an amazing talk because you're just kind of going out and talking about what you do. You're actually creating something of value. And if you can present and pitch something valuable to a library, there's a really good chance that they're going to want you to come in and talk about it. So I often think of an example of someone like a gardener who has their own little landscaping center and maybe sells gardening tools and wants to go out and create a connection with her customers and can use workshops to do that. So she could create a whole workshop on like how to plant a garden for under $100 a year. That's a real value instead of going in and saying, I'm going to come in and talk to you about gardening. So if you can think about a real problem you can solve for your audience, you can create that as your anchor and then work backwards to fill in your content and pitch it to a library. So I did, that's what I did was like how to network effectively. How do you build a brand when you don't really have any credibility yet? How do you build an anti-resume that gets you in front of the right audiences? So the second part of this question was, did I get paid for those speaking engagements? And I did not. And I didn't even ask for money because at that time, I didn't even know that that was an option. <laughs> I just thought I need a way to find people and I need a way for people to know that I exist. So I'm going to just go out and give these talks. But after years of speaking, I've learned that many libraries do pay you to give speeches and you can get paid, you know, $100 to $500, depending on how long your talk is and, and the size of the library and the budget of that town or city. So it never hurts to ask, but you want to stay somewhere in that range because remember, it is a community offering and it's not like this giant corporation or a conference where people are paying $1,000 a ticket to be there. So think about how much money you think 
you should be given based on your experience and your your brand and how many years you've been speaking and you know how effective you can be as a presenter. If you're brand new, I would say just do it for free because what you get in return for giving a talk is the experience and the exposure. And those two things are huge when you're just starting because you may be practicing at home for days or weeks or months and think, wow, this is really good. And then you go out and give your talk and you realize, okay, that didn't connect at all. My stories were kind of all over the place. <laughs> My audience didn't look engaged. So how valuable was that for them? So you want to really do free talks as a way to test your material and get more comfortable as a presenter. So I would say your first 20 or 30 talks should be for free. And that may sound like a lot to you, but when you're a speaker and if you ask other professional speakers how many free talks they've done, they'll probably say hundreds. And I did hundreds. And that's just part of the whole game of it is like you have to get out there and be in in on stage and doing it in order for people to see you as a speaker. And I remember being at networking events and meeting people who hand me a business card and their business card says like entrepreneur and speaker. And I'm like, Oh, you're a speaker. Where do you speak? Oh, well, you know, if I'm asked to speak at a conference, I'll speak like once a year. And I'm like, I don't know if that means you're a speaker. I think <laughs> like speakers go out and give talks all the time, maybe a couple times a week, at least like three or four times a month. So if you want to be a speaker, you have to go out and speak. And that means sometimes you're probably going to speak for free because there's some hidden benefit in doing that other than getting paid for it. And that might mean that you're getting in front of the right audience or you're connecting with a conference or a company that you want to be affiliated with so that you can use that name to help bolster your credibility and your brand down the road. I know I've done that many times, especially in the beginning. It was really worth it to give discounts or, or talk for free so I could put companies like Comcast on my my speaker bio because it just helped to show that oh i'm somebody who has spoken at a major fortune 100 company maybe she knows what she's talking about so that's a great place to start think about who you want to speak to the problem you want to solve for them set either set a rate or just go out and speak for free for a while and then start asking for for small amounts 100 200 300 and then you can work your way up so the second part of this question was what's the best way to find speaking engagements and what should my speaker bio look like? The best way to find speaking engagements is to think about where your target audience hangs out, right? So we've already determined like who you want sitting in your audience. So now you need to think about where they go to find information. Do they go to conferences? Do they belong to a professional association? Do they go to the chamber events? Where would you find them? once you know where they are, then you can target those events or organizations and try to become a speaker at those, at those conferences or, or companies. And that might sound difficult, like maybe I don't know where they hang out. Well, a great way to find out where your audience goes for information is to ask them. <laughs> and this seems like such a radical idea, like, wait a minute, so I'm going to like call somebody who might buy something from me and I'm going to ask them where they get information? Yeah. <laughs> when you do this, it actually helps you and it helps them because they are so pleased to know that someone wants to help them and is actually willing to ask where they get their information and what kind of information they're looking for. When I launched my speaking school for women almost two years ago, 
I interviewed 75 women who wanted to become professional speakers to learn about what was important to them before I built my course. Because I could sit at home and I could say, I'm going to build a whole bunch of talks and classes around how to become a professional speaker based on what I think people need. And I might hit the mark, but I probably will miss a lot of what my audience is actually looking for. So the best thing for you to do is to just ask your audience what they need in order to accomplish their goals. And after I did those 75 interviews, I found out that what they need is actually very different from what I thought they need. So you can save yourself a ton of time and just say, if you are interested in becoming a professional speaker, what would you want to know? Where would you want to start? What kind of questions do you have that keep you up at night? Where have you been looking for information and what have you found? Has that been helpful? You know, questions like this really help to inform the way that you're building your speaking business and your talks. So once you have asked these questions of your audience, then you can determine where you want to go speak and find the right stages to be on so that you're not all over the place. And I wish I knew this when I started speaking because I thought the more I speak, the stronger my speaker brand becomes and the more exposure I get. And in a way that is true, but it wasn't targeted at all. I basically said yes to every single speaking opportunity <laughs> there was. And you would find me like in a church basement at an unemployment group. And the next day I'd be speaking at a middle school. And then I would be at a rotary club. And then I'd be talking to a group of lawyers and then <laughs> be at, like a high school home ec class. I was all over the place because I didn't really know who was in my target audience. And, 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 you know, it's, it's kind of hard because I was talking about career information. And so I was like, well, basically anyone between 18 and 80 needs career advice. But it was up to me as the business owner and the speaker to determine who I really, really wanted to help in that group of people, you know, ranging in age, you know, from 18 to 80. So if I had done my homework and determined that I wanted to talk to, let's say, women who were in their 30s about how to get promoted into leadership positions or leave corporate America to start their own business, I would have been much more successful much earlier because I would have concentrated my efforts in the right place. So the best way to find speaking engagements is to make sure you know who's in your target audience and then go and ask them where they get information and the type of events they attend and then pitch yourself to speak at those places. And that seems super simple, right? But it took me like years to figure that out because I was just so unfocused and wanted to just be everywhere all the time because I thought any opportunity was a good opportunity. And I think the argument could be made that it's true that you can get that exposure, but really just put your effort into the places that really matter. So the last part of this question, I think this is like a 12 part question is what should my speaker bio look like? Your speaker bio should include things like accomplishments and awards that your title and if your company, whether you own it or work for it, any past clients you've had of note that people would notice and say, oh, wow, that's OK. That sounds like they've done something. Any media mentions or features and your motto or mission. And I add that part in myself because I think it's important to have some kind of guiding message or philosophy that you live by that you can share with others so they get a sense of who you are. And it's really important that you have more than one speaker bio. You want to have one that's 75 to 100 words, which is like four or five sentences. And that's probably the most common bio that you'll be asked for, because that's the one that will go in programs at conferences. It'll go on the website for whatever event you're, you're speaking at, and it'll be used in marketing materials. 
You'll also need a 500-word bio, which has much more detail about your professional experience. Perhaps you'll put your education, any degrees you've acquired, and a little bit more about the work you're doing today. And you may also need a 1,000-word bio. I've only actually used one of these once, but it's good to have. And you could probably wait until the day comes that you need it, but <laughs> it may happen. And in the 1,000-word bio, it's just kind of the same stuff, but more detail. So I'm going to share with you my 75 to 100-word bio just to give you a sense of the stuff I include in there and how simple it is and boiled down it is because it's so easy to get caught up in all the details. But what you really want to show in your four to five sentence, 75 word to 100 word bio is the highlight reel. So here's my bio. Angela Lucier is an award-winning speaker, four-time author, two-time TEDx presenter, and CEO and founder of The Speaker Sisterhood, a network of speaking clubs that help women discover, awaken, and create their voice through the art of public speaking. Angela is the host of Clean the Stage, a public speaking podcast for women rated number one on the inspiring podcast list by Forbes in 2017. She's a contributor to Huffington Post, and her work has been featured on ABC, NBC, Forbes, Virgin, and Entrepreneur. Her motto, stop waiting, start creating. So good little snapshot. If you read that in a program, you might think, okay, she knows something about speaking. <laughs> she, she's written some books, so she knows something about something. <laughs> She's been at TEDx, so she has some credibility because they wouldn't have probably let her on the stage if she didn't. She owns a company, so she knows something about business and whatever subject she's teaching. <laughs> she has a podcast that was rated number one, so she probably has pretty good podcasts, and she's been featured on media outlets, so other people felt that she had something to say too. So this is the whole point of your bio is to create social proof of your ability and it comes by showing your affiliations with other places that already have credibility. So that's the, the long answer to question number one slash question number one through question number 14. <laughs> so thank you, Alicia and Brenda, for your questions. Let's jump to question number two. I recently gave a talk in London via Skype. I was the only speaker online pneumonia. My image was projected up onto a big screen and the sound was horrible on my end. I couldn't understand them, but they said on their end, everything was fine. What tips do you have for speaking via Skype or Facebook Live so you come across well? The technical stuff I can figure out, but how should you act, dress, etc., to have the most impact on camera? Becky. Thank you, Becky, for this question. Webinars are, are kind of a different animal from speaking on stage because you don't get that same connection you get in person. So you have to work a little harder to build it through the screen. And you can do that through interaction. And I don't know the limitations of your specific conference you spoke at, Becky, but I know that at some events, there are polling options and there are texting options and chat boxes where the audience can enter in information as you ask questions. So always make sure as the presenter that you ask the, the host, whoever's hosting you, what kind of capabilities they have for interaction. They may say, oh, we have the whiteboard function set up so you can write stuff on the whiteboard on your screen for them to see for taking notes, which is nice. But it's, it's really great if you can pull them because then they get involved. And I remember I did a big presentation for a corporation in Chicago and we used this texting software that showed up when they, when they texted their answers back, they created bar graphs on my PowerPoint slides 
in real time to show the responses. And we had people in the room who were watching that day, but the presentation was that also simulcast around the country with thousands of other people watching. So in a way, using that polling software brought everybody into the room. And even though they were spread out among, you know, across thousands of miles, for those couple parts of the talk, we all got to be together. And it was really nice to create this sense of community and, and like we were all kind of in the same room. So I would say if you want to be effective on screen when you're not in the room, using polls, using the chat box and using texting as available will help you to do that. Another great thing to do that makes it a little more personal, and this isn't always an option, but if it is, is to say hello using the attendee's name to as many people as you can when the webinar starts or the presentation starts. And if you have the access to see all the people who are coming in and, and viewing, you can say, hey, good morning, Sarah. Hey, good morning, Tom. Hey, thanks for being here, Jim. And, and when you do that, it helps them feel like you're together. So it, again, it builds that connection. And, and you won't always be able to see that, but if you can, use it because it's a great way to, to show them like, wow, this person is really live. She's right here with us right now. And it, and it helps them to pay attention and feel seen. You can also use visuals and props. I was working with a client earlier this year who uh, works with lions <laughs> and he was talking to a classroom of 10-year-old kids over the computer and they were projecting his face up on a screen and he was telling stories about his work with National Geographic and some of his adventures out in, in Africa. And he had photos that helped to show what this, this experience was like, but he also had some stuffed animals of lions and he had some of the collars that they used to, to kind of track the lions. So he, instead of just showing a picture of a lion with a collar on, he took one of his stuffed lions and he took his collar and he put the collar on the lion and demonstrated how it works. And the kids kind of loved it because they've really got to see what that process was like. And kids can relate to stuffed animals. And it just made him more relatable all around because he had something that they probably see every single day. So using visuals and props helps to add to the connection and it makes it more interesting to look at because you and I both know we look at screens all day long and it's just not that fun. So <laughs> you can make it more fun by adding more things to look at and just go through your whole presentation and look for places where you can make it more interesting for them. And you don't have to um, go out and buy a bunch of stuff. You could even like you know, do an arts and crafts type of visual. <laughs> you can get creative with what you show. I did a presentation probably seven or eight years ago now about marketing. And I decided that I was going to call my presentation popcorn PR. And during the presentation, I gave everyone this tiny little Ziploc bag with one popcorn kernel inside of it. And I talked about how that popcorn kernel was the, the idea that each person in the audience was going to work on that represented their business. Like they were all small business owners. That little kernel was their business. And how were they going to make that pop? 
and just giving each person one popcorn kernel with one little Ziploc bag, like changed everything. Cause now they had this little representation of their business sitting in front of them and they got to really think about what that meant to them and how they wanted to share it with the world. So you can get creative with that and I'll leave that up to you, but using visuals and props on camera when you're not in the room can help to build that connection. And the last tip I would share is give them a worksheet. I love worksheets personally. <laughs> I think it's really fun because then you have the audience working through the, the tips and the different exercises with you and they're learning as you go. Instead of listening for an hour passively, they're actively engaged in your talk and they're taking things away as you go. And you might give a couple minutes of time for everyone to talk to their neighbor about what they just wrote down or to interview each other for a minute. And that takes the pressure off of you and the focus off of you for a few minutes so they can get focused and they can just kind of you know, be be present with the people who are there and then come back to listen to the rest of what you have to say. So those are my tips. The first is to interact with them through polls, chats, and texting. Number two is to say hello to as many people as you can when you enter the room. Number three is to use visuals and props. And number four is to give them a worksheet. I hope that was helpful. So that was question number two. And question number three, how do you handle when emotion starts to creep in? Can, how can you ready yourself if you feel that lump of emotion in your throat? Becky. Becky, thank you for that question. I've been asked this question like probably 10 times in the last week. Last week, I went to five speaker sisterhood meetings. I witnessed about 100 speeches ranging from one minute long to seven minutes long. And on several occasions, the women who were speaking got choked up because they were talking about things that were really important to them, like their families, their own personal journey, their job, their relationships, and it can bring up a lot of real emotions. And so what, what frequently happened was when those emotions came up, they would apologize and they would stand in front of the room and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm, uh, let me just take a second. And if you've ever been in the audience watching someone get choked up on stage have you ever felt like, oh, this person obviously has no idea what they're doing? <laughs> oh my God, this person needs to get it together. I highly doubt it. Because when the speaker shows real emotion like that, it, it's actually a gift to the audience because it's an opportunity for the audience to feel real emotions. And how often do you have someone standing in front of you on a stage who is being totally authentic and real about their feelings? It's very rare. So when you do that as the speaker, it's one of the best things you can do. And, and, and so her question is, you know, how do you, how do you handle it? You just let it happen and you, you, it's okay to shed a tear and it's okay to feel those emotions while you're up there and then take one or two breaths to compose yourself and the audience will wait for you. They'll give you that time because they're right there with you. Like they could not be more present. That is probably the time when you will have them in the palm of your hand the most. And you can then take those deep breaths and get back to the speech. And that's the moment that everyone in the speech will remember because that's the moment where everybody could feel what you were feeling. And the sign of an excellent speaker is someone who makes their audience feel something. And, and there's a quote, your audience won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. So when you do get all those feelings and you, you feel like, oh my God, I'm going to cry. Oh my God, it's going to happen. Just let it happen. 
because that's, <laughs> that's life. Like that's, you're not a robot. And, you know, people often say to me, like, is it okay to drink water when you're on stage? Is it okay if I like have a cough drop, if I have a cough? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> because like you're a human being and you have feelings and you have needs. And sometimes we need to drink water after talking for a long time. So I'm going to take a sip of water and you're going to let me have that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so this question, how do you handle emotion when it starts to creep in? You just let it happen. And then you come back to the speech. You don't cry up there for 45 minutes, but you might take 30 seconds. And to you as the speaker, it's going to feel like a long time. Like if you even shed one tear, it's going to feel like maybe embarrassing. It's going to feel like it's going on forever. But to your audience, it's not like that. Even a minute would feel, would, 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 um, would be appropriate. So just let that emotion be part of your speech and don't worry about it because it's, it's a really important moment for everybody. Next question, question number four, any tips for rounding out your speech with a solid close? Sandra, Sandra, thanks for this question. Yes, there, I do have some tips for that. As I mentioned in my first, first thing I said on this podcast today was you need to figure out two things before you write your speech. One is who is sitting in your audience and what problem are you solving for them? And this is important for this question because when you know what problem you're solving for them, then you already know the goal of your speech, like where you're trying to take people. And then you can work backwards to fill it in. So let me give you an example. Let's say that you are giving a speech about how to become a better public speaker, since we're on the subject. You could start your speech by saying, have you ever sat in the audience and wondered how great public speakers get there? Today, I'm going to tell you. And if, if you've advertised this talk as a way to become a better public speaker, everyone in your audience will have asked that question at one point or another because they all want to be speakers. So this is a great place to start, right? And at the end of the talk, you can, you can wrap the little bow around it by saying, so next time you're at a big convention, it could be you on stage changing people's lives. Are you ready? And so you present this challenge to them, right? That you started in the very beginning by painting this picture of wondering, like, how do people get there? And then at the very end, you remind them, oh, it could be you. And all you need to do is just step into that because I gave you all the information in this talk on how to do it. So you want to connect your opening statement with your closing statement by, by staying focused on the goal of, of what you're trying to present. And it's, it's kind of like the come full circle concept of like starting with the end in mind and then just working your way through all the content and, and arriving back at the beginning with the conclusion. So you can play around with that and, and try out a couple different openings and closings, but making sure that those two things tie together will help you to create something that's cohesive and takes your audience on an adventure and then ends really, really nicely. And I just want to remind everyone watching on Facebook, um, if you have a question for me, you'd like me to ask in real time, I'm happy to do that. Just post it into the comments. I'll save a couple of minutes at the end. I think we only have like five minutes left, but I'm going <laughs> to, this is happening so fast. Um, but I'll, I'll do my best to answer it. Um, I'm going to answer a couple of short ones and then I'll come back to the others. 
one of the questions was, what are the best and most cost-effective sources for images to include in presentations without copyright infringement? There's a question from Patty. Patty, thanks for that question. The only site that I use for images is unsplash.com. So it's U-N, the word splash.com. They have beautiful images and they have a huge library. You can search based on different keywords and it's really, really helpful. The images are different from typical stock photos, like a bunch of people sitting in a room that has all white walls and they looked, look perfect. It's people in everyday life doing everyday things. So you may want to check that out. Uh, next question, what do you do to generate so many speaker topic ideas? That question's from Teresa. Thank you, Teresa. I want to point you to an episode I did last year. It was episode 52 with Karen Friedman. She answers this question so well because she is a total expert on the subject. She was a columnist and she has been writing articles for years and years. And when you're a columnist, you have to come up with topics all the time and not just any topics. They have to be topics that have a point and a message and a lesson. So she was really tuning, attuning her skills to looking for that kind of information and looking for those stories. So as a speaker, you can build that skill as well by using the tips that she shares in that episode. And it's really about sharpening your ability to observe what's going on around you. And one tip she shares on the show that I loved and is so simple and you can do today is to get a very small notebook that you can keep in your pocket, grab a little pen <laughs> and just jot down interesting things that are going on around you. And then you know, not with any real goal in mind, just something you see at the mall, something that happens in line at the coffee shop, and then connect those stories to lessons and takeaways that might be interesting to your audience. And she said sometimes she would write a story, a little observation, and then six months later, she'd look back at it and go, oh, I just realized what that means to me. And then she would write about it. So you start, sort of get used to looking around and seeing things and making notes and then putting those concepts together later to then write a speech about it. So again, check out episode number 52 with Karen Friedman. And last short question is from Linda. She said, I know politicians do this, but is it okay to give the same or nearly same speech multiple times? And the answer is absolutely. <laughs> this is called your signature talk. And all professional speakers have one. It's part of your brand and it's what you become known for. It's something you continue to craft for years as you test out the material. And it's really it's something that you start with as part of like your core messaging for what your company or your your vision is for your work and then you continue working on it i've i have one signature talk now called the secret life of speaking up and i've given that talk probably 15 times and it's different every time i just constantly kind of tweak it and i add things and i I'll just try out a new thing at some point in the middle of the speech and see what kind of response I get. And then I'll try out that thing with a different audience. And it's really fun. It's a lot of experimentation. And that signature talk is really important because when you give it once, in an essence, in essence you're, you're auditioning for another speaking engagement. So you can you know, give that talk and someone in the audience may come up and say, hey, I belong to another group. Could you come give this same talk over there? Oh, sure. And then you go give the talk over there. Someone comes up to you after, hey, I belong to this other group. Can you come give the talk over there? That's basically how I built my whole speaking business <laughs> was by people coming up to me after the talk and asking me to give another talk that was the same. So you'll find that as a speaker, you'll continue to give the same talks over and over again. And that's totally fine. And some of the biggest names in speaking have given their talks hundreds or thousands of times because it's the thing that they have 
really put their their research into. They've done a lot of case studies. They've they've tried all kinds of different things, and they have lots of statistics and data that helps to back up their points. And they maybe invested, you know, thousands of dollars into research to make sure that what they're talking about is accurate. So they're going to keep giving that talk over and over again. So that's totally fine to do. All right. So I have some questions from Facebook. I'm going to address. Adrian's asking, have you ever done something embarrassing and walked it off like choking on water, tripping over feet? <laughs> also, any big mistakes like poor choices of props or clothes? You know what? I actually have a, a story about this. Thank you for asking. That. <laughs> um, one of the, the questions I was asked, I'm going to connect these two because I can see that they have the same answer, was how do you find balance to engage your audience enough to participate in some way, like take the edge off and have fun and make them think and turn them into a fan and that helps them grow? So that question I was going to say, one thing that's really important to do that is to tell stories about yourself. And so the story I was going to share in this answer that makes sense for this question, Adrian, is this time that I got on stage at an MBA class at UMass Amherst wearing a business suit that I would never wear. That's just like very ugly old blazer with a long blue skirt and really ugly pumped heels and <laughs> that I got from the Salvation Army that was maybe popular in like the 1971. And underneath it had a dress that I would actually wear for a presentation. And halfway through that presentation about branding, my plan was to take off the ugly blazer and skirt to reveal the dress underneath that really did represent who I was and really showed my brand. And as it got to that point in the speech, I started to think to myself, what <laughs> was I thinking? <laughs> I'm in a class of professionals at a university in like a world-class master's program and I'm about to like take off my dress. <laughs> in theory, that idea was amazing because I thought it would be really different and interesting and it really illustrated the point. But as I got closer to the moment when I was going to do it, I started sweating. I could feel my face getting red. I could feel the fear coming and I, I started to stutter. I started to get a little blurry eyed and as I started taking off my blazer, I started thinking to myself, this is the last day I'm ever going to give a speech. <laughs> this is my last time ever leaving the house. This is the last day of my career. I'm never going out again. <laughs> and I like took off the blazer, like unbutton the shirt, unzip the skirt and like falls on the floor. And I'm, you know, to reveal this other dress. So it wasn't inappropriate. It was definitely shocking. But to me, I felt like this was the worst decision I've ever made. Like it's over the top. I've gone too far. And everyone in the audience looked like this. Like for 10 minutes. <laughs> and I was mortified. And all I wanted was for the speech to end. But I still had 20 minutes to go or something. And I just tried to forget about it. And I went on and finished it. And as soon as it was over, I ran over to the table where I had my bag and all my stuff. And I started putting everything in my bag and was just ready to like dart out the door and never show my face in public again. And the professor came over to me and said, wow, that was amazing. That was like unforgettable. That's something that we've never had in this class before. And I guarantee you everyone in this room was like, we'll never forget that. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll never forget that either. <laughs> and I realized these things that we might might think of as failures because they don't feel good in the moment can actually be huge moments of connection for our audience. So when you do do things like fall on stage 
or choke or something. It's a moment where your audience gets to see your vulnerability and it's, it's a moment of connection. And it actually is better than if those things don't happen. There's a study done that says if you're walking up on stage and you fall on the, on the stairs, your audience will like you more because now they can empathize and they have compassion for you. And they recognize that like, you know, we all make mistakes. And the more you try to appear as perfect, the, uh, the weaker the connection is. So I was really glad that I pulled off that weird dress thing that day because it was a good growing moment for me. And it was also something that people in that class probably appreciated. And what's really funny is, you know, I live within half an hour of UMass Amherst and a lot of the students who are in that program still live around the area. And I can't even tell you how many students have come up to me in a coffee shop, at a conference, at UMass saying, hey, I remember that. I remember that day <laughs> you took your dress off in the presentation. That was awesome. Like, oh, I'm really glad you feel that way. <laughs> so sometimes these things can work out okay. So that does it for today's Q&A episode. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. I hope that you got some of your own questions answered. I do these episodes about once a quarter. So if you have any questions you'd like to submit for a future episode of Claim the Stage, you can email me at Angela at speakersisterhood.com or you can post it right here in the comments under the video on Facebook Live and I will uh, grab that and put it into my file. So that does it for me today, you guys. Thanks so much for listening. And as I said in my bio and as I say at the end of every single Claim the Stage episode, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.